Um, Tonight's reading is from um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 to 7, which in these Bibles can be found on page 735. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth shaped like a sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorned by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down, because the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Oliver. Evening, everyone. Who's had, a, who's had a particularly good week? Anyone want to share that you've had a good week? Oh, well, that's a shame. <laughs> um, I have. <laughs> I've had a good week. We had some exciting news as a family, uh, which is that we're expecting another baby, which is very exciting. There we go. Thank you very much. And uh, so one of the uh, exciting things we've been able to do is start thinking about names, which is always fun. But it only seemed right that we should involve Clara in this. Uh, so uh, she's known for a few weeks uh, before uh, the, the sort of 12-week scan confirmed it was all all right, uh, that, that Kate was pregnant. So this week we decided to involve her in these key decisions. So uh, we said to her, Clara, what's in mummy's tummy? It's taken a while to get the hang of this, but she, she knew. She said, baby. Very good, Clara. So, Clara, do you think it's a boy or a girl? And she said, boy. Now, Clara, what should we call him? And she paused and then said, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, and just so you know, that actually... Uh, sort of failing to answer these questions correctly does actually run in the family. Uh, a couple of years ago, very similar sort of thing, uh, my nephew, who was two and a half at the time, uh, my sister was pregnant with their second child, and she sat him down and said, Ben, 
would you like a brother or a sister? And he paused, and then his answer was, I'd rather have a biscuit. <laughs> so, uh, but you'll be pleased to know that, uh, that Ben and his sister Digestive get on very well now, so that's, uh, that's good. So it seems very appropriate that I'm uh, preaching today uh, on a passage that is all about an unborn baby, again, being given a name. Yet despite that, I have to say that it's not immediately obvious who this passage is about. So I I thought I'd just get you, just for a moment, why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, who do you think this passage is talking about? Okay, off you go, 30 seconds. Okay, shall we see how you got on? Uh, uh, please don't be embarrassed, it's a, it's a tricky thing to discern. So uh, anyone wanna put up that, their hand and say they think it's about Isaiah? Anyone think it's about Isaiah? Put up a hand. No, okay, no one thinks it's Isaiah. No one's gonna think it's Jeremiah then, that's what some of the scholars say, but no, okay, it's not Jeremiah. Um, what about the nation of Israel? Anyone wanna put their hand up? Yep, two over there. Yeah, a few more, a few late converters. Okay, relation of Israel. Um, anyone want to go for a, a Jewish Messiah who hasn't come yet? Yep, okay, we've got a few Orthodox Jews among us. That's splendid, okay. Um, anyone want to go for Jesus? Yep, okay, a few, few sprinklings of Jesus is there. Anyone want to go for the church? Yep, on the sound of the visual desk, the church. Okay, well... Personally, I'm with Jesus and the church, as will become clear, but it's not an easy thing to disentangle, is it? And I have to say that it's one of the big questions that Jewish people everywhere have to wrestle with. We've got these four passages, really famous passages in Isaiah, that talk about a servant. And it begs the question, who is he? Who is it talking about and has he come yet? It's a huge question. And I have to say, depending on which verses you look at, you can be led in different directions. So those of you, the, the, the handful that said Isaiah, well, I can understand that in the sense that verse one, and indeed uh, much of the rest of it, kind of reads like a autobiography, you know, as, it's, as if it's autobiographical, doesn't it? it it's using, uh, it's saying, uh, you know, um, before I was born, and uh, from the mother's womb he has spoken my name. So you could be mistaken and think it's Isaiah. Verse three, quite a lot of you said Israel. I can understand why. It says, you are my servant Israel. But here for me is the decisive piece of evidence. Verse five, where it says this. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. Well, Israel was the name that was given to uh, the patriarch Jacob. It's where the name Israel for the country comes from. Um, Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet in this verse, it's saying that the servant has a mission to Israel to bring them back to God. So um, it can't be the nation of Israel in the sense that they have a mission to Israel. So it begs the question then, Who did bring the faithful of Israel back to God? 
Well, I think uh, the answer, or the person who did that in the fullest sense, without a shadow of a doubt, is Jesus. He, what did he say about his own mission? He said, I have come to the lost sheep of Israel. And undoubtedly it's true that many, many Jewish people, particularly those who weren't Pharisees, renewed their faith in God through him. And yet the clincher, I think, is the verses that surround that. Verse 4, it talks about uh, someone appearing to be a failure, to be rejected. That certainly fits the description of Jesus on the cross. But then verse 6 tells us that this person, this servant, would be a light to the Gentiles and that God's salvation would reach the ends of the earth. And there's no doubt that it's Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples that triggered that prophecy being fulfilled. In the first generation, spreading as far as Western Europe, down into East Africa, across Northern Africa, the Middle East, even to India, this prophecy was fulfilled. And of course, today, now, the numbers who call themselves Christians into the billions, spreading to every corner of the globe. And even verse 7, undoubtedly, Many, many kings, queens, princesses, and princes have worshipped the Lord, have worshipped Jesus, and have said, you are my Lord. From the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century to our very own Queen in the 20th and 21st. So with that all in mind, I think Jesus is who it is talking about. And yet we have to explain verse 3. And I think the way that we can do that is to say this, Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus fulfills the calling that the nation of Israel was never able to manage. And I can explain this, um, if you like, in a diagram. And this has just come up on the screen now. Um, it's basically the outline of a St. Andrew's flag, which you'll recognize. And, and the way this sort of illustrates it is like this. Um, first of all, God intended that all humankind would be his servants. Then after the fall, God chose the nation of Israel to serve him. That's the widest part of the cross there on the left. But even his chosen race was not faithful to him. The Old Testament tells us that, doesn't it? And the focus continued to narrow until it became a mere faithful remnant. That was certainly the situation that Isaiah was speaking and writing into and then ultimately only one individual was completely faithful to God and his calling and that is Jesus there on the central most narrow part of the cross that is the moment when the role of the servant the call of the servant is perfectly fulfilled he revealed what Israel was meant to be he was an Israelite sent to Israel he was totally identified with the nation and yet was distinct from it where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. And yet equally, it's God's plan that the church, through the victory of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, can and should succeed with that calling that Israel was given. And that's how we fit in. As that cross broadens out again on the right-hand side to the church, that is us, the new Israel called to do what Israel, the old Israel, was first called to do, to bear witness to our God. And that is where 
we fit in. And so as you read Isaiah, maybe you find it a little bit difficult to follow. Perhaps the old, perhaps you do. The Old Testament is trickier. But just look at this picture now. This is actually uh, in Scotland, where the St. Andrew's flag uh, comes from. That's a, a mon- the 10th highest Munro in Scotland called Ben Laws. It's a beautiful place. I've climbed it a few times. And I show you that picture because when we read Isaiah and other passages in the Old Testament, Basically, there are several levels of fulfillment that are visible at the same time in the way that um, those mountains, there several of them can be seen at the same time. So what's the mountain in the foreground? Well, that is the fulfillment actually at the time that Isaiah was speaking into. So if you like, the return from exile um, is, is basically what uh, that first mountain is, the first level of fulfillment. Then we've got the biggest mountain in the middle. That's Ben Laws itself. And that is the fulfillment of these prophecies by the one perfect faithful servant, Jesus himself, the true Israel. And then also within Isaiah's writings, we've got the third level of fulfillment, which is basically the fulfillment by the new Israel. That's the church. That's you and me. And often when we're looking at a passage, actually we can see all of those mountains, all of those levels of fulfillment there at the same time. And the questions that we need to ask as we read any passage in Isaiah is, first of all, what does it say to us about Israel at that time? Secondly, what does it say to us about Jesus, the true Israel? And thirdly, what does it say about us, the body of Christ, called to continue his mission and to reveal God to the whole world. So hopefully that helps you to feel more confident in reading Isaiah. Just have in mind those three mountains and then you can see that even though Isaiah seems to switch from one to the other, actually in all of it, God is speaking and we can learn and be inspired by it. So, with the rest of, uh, for the rest of this talk, I just want to focus in on that third level of fulfillment, the church taking forward the calling of the old Israel and doing the work of the true Israel, Jesus himself. So there's three things that I want to highlight from this passage. And the first one is this. We're all called to speak out. And that comes from verses one to two. And when it talks about uh, this, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. And uh, verse two, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword and he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. This is all about the servant declaring God's word, speaking out. And the reference to the distant nations and the islands is basically saying that the whole world needs to hear it. This is good news, not just for Israel, but actually for the whole world. And this is what God wants the whole world to know. And those metaphors of the polished arrow and the sharpened sword, yes, I think they they have that sort of connection with the fact that actually when God's word is declared and when we seek to share our faith, it's a spiritual battle. If you like, warfare is going on and we thought about that, didn't we, in the prayer course earlier in the year. But also I think that those particular metaphors um, have um, more to tell us as well. So take the polished arrow, for example. How does a bit of wood become a polished arrow? Well, lots has to go on to turn it 
into that. It, a wood needs to be sort of uh, sawed. It, uh, the basic shape needs to be uh, taken from that bit of wood. Then it needs to be sanded down. It needs to be polished. And actually, um, all of that work goes in, and only then is that arrow able to go where it's meant to go. And in the same way, we need to be sharpened. We needed to be uh, sawed and sanded down. We need to be polished. And God is actually doing that um, in us right now. God is equipping us for whatever particular uh, conversation he wants us to have in the future. And maybe you feel, well, at the moment, God's not particularly using me in a, a powerful way uh, to share my faith. Think of it, that God is still active. And what he is doing is refining you. He's polishing you. He's preparing you to be that polished arrow, to go wherever he wants you to go and to share your faith however he wants you to share it. So that's the arrow. The sword is equally powerful a metaphor. And um, I think it captures this sense that God can use us as we share his word, his truth with others to cut right through to people's hearts. Now think about when you became a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian, you'll know that you've experienced moments where you know God was speaking right into your heart. It's that sense that whoever might be talking to us about him, whether it's a preacher or someone in conversation or, or just reading the words of scripture, that God is speaking to you. And the Bible in Ephesians talks about uh, the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God. And basically what it's saying is that if we invite God by his Holy Spirit to use us and to take whatever it is that we can share with others about uh, God's work in our life and, and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, God through his Spirit can connect that into people's hearts and basically, if that didn't happen, no one would become a Christian. But it does. The Holy Spirit is living and active, and it cuts right through to people's hearts, brings them to that moment of recognizing God's call, drawing them to give their life to him, and helping them discern what it is he's calling them to do in their lives. The Holy Spirit turns our humble offering of sharing what we feel we can share with people and turns it into something living, something powerful and something that can cut right through to people's hearts. So that's what I think we can take from this. And I, I just want to also encourage you that if you're in a, mo a time at the moment where God is equipping you and shaping you, then bear in mind that things like uh, the course that Mike was talking to us about, where we've got these three uh, evening seminars on Tuesday nights, we've got that uh, Sunday preceding it in June, uh, just um, setting up uh, what it is we're gonna be doing, and uh, really equipping us to answer the difficult questions that people have. Now, if you're anything like me, you could do with that equipping. You could do with that training. It's not easy to engage with some of the, the barriers, some of the questions that people have, but those three sessions will mean that pretty well, I don't know, three quarters of the conversations you might have are likely to come up with these sorts of issues, and those sessions will enable you to know how to respond to them. And what we can be equipped to do is actually to be able to remove those barriers that hinder people and have the confidence when we've done that 
to be able to connect with what those people are really hungering for and help them to see how Jesus is the answer to those things. So don't turn down that opportunity. It's a really wonderful thing for us as a church that we've got people uh, with that skill and experience coming to talk to us. Let's take that opportunity and basically cancel whatever it is we're doing so that we can be there. So that's the first thing I want to highlight. We need to speak out. The second of my three points on this passage is this. We need to live it out as well. We need to live it out as well. And I love that phrase in verse three that captures that in such an evocative or memorable way. It says this, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. What a wonderful phrase that is. It's used 13 times in the Old Testament. Nine of them are in Isaiah. And it basically means this. As servants of God, we are called to demonstrate to other people what God is like and to show his glory to the world. Now, Israel was called to do that, but so often they failed, not always, uh, but they often did. The exile was a consequence of that. And even though the return from exile that most of the second half of Isaiah is, is uh, talking about, um, it ended that particular punishment for Israel for all that they'd done wrong. But the basic problem remained. And only Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection, perfectly reflected the glory of God. And yet here's the challenge to us. What's the difference between us and the old Israel? Well, yes, Jesus has died for us. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. But it's also that we've received the Holy Spirit, which most of the Old Testament people of God had not. And what that means is that actually reflecting the glory of God is possible for us. We can do it, and it's the Holy Spirit that makes it happen. Now, this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said, uh, just to make clear what he believed was possible. He said this, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the question I want to ask us tonight is this. Is this happening in you? Are you contemplating the Lord's glory daily? Are you spending time in his word? Are you listening to him? Are you worshipping him regularly? Are you pursuing his presence? I don't mean are you coming to church. I don't even mean are you engaging with church when you come here. I'm talking about what's happening on the other days of the week. And basically what Paul is saying there and what I'm saying here is that if we do those things, we look different. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our faces can reveal God and his glory? Well, I firmly believe that. And let me explain it like this. When someone is on fire for God, when someone is finding themselves lifted and inspired and captured by a vision of who God is in his glory, then actually it becomes visible in their eyes. It comes, becomes visible in their demeanor. It becomes visible as a joy and a peace that they otherwise wouldn't have, just comes, oozes through them. And maybe you know people who, who, who are regularly like that. Maybe you've known it yourself. And if you can 
envisage or picture what that looks like, that sense of radiance, well, that's what God is calling us to display, not just occasionally, not just at the high points of our life, but regularly as we feed and hunger and rest in his presence day by day. Now, this is one of the ways in which God really challenged me about this. Um, about, uh, I don't know how long ago it is now, maybe six or seven years ago, I was on a retreat. Um, I haven't done that very often, but I went away for uh, three and a half days um, up in Northumbria. And um, the purpose of a retreat, if you don't know about them, basically it's where we go somewhere where we can leave behind our work and other things that distract us, our studies, whatever it might be and just spend a few days living in a Christian community and spending a lot of that time either praying or reading the Bible or reading Christian books that are really helping us nurture our faith. And in my case, spending quite a lot of time in the hills and the countryside as well, allowing nature to speak of God to us. So I went on this retreat. It went well. I was nervous before I went. I loved it. I came back. The next day, I bumped into a friend of mine, knowing they had no idea where I'd been for the last few days. So I, I said to her, you never guess what I've just done. I've been on a retreat. And she turned to me and said, I know. And I said, how do you know? And she said, I could just tell. And what she was saying was, it had so changed me that she could just tell before I'd even said anything. She could just see by the way I looked and then the way I started talking to her. And what that reminded me is if I allow myself to be lifted and inspired and drawn into the presence of God and reflecting on his glory regularly, then actually that radiance, that visible presence of God in my life can become visible to others. And that's what God wants to happen in us. So how should we respond to that? Not to feel guilty, but to actually just recognize that that is possible, that that is what God's calling us to, and if we invite him by his spirit to uh, encounter us again, then we can become like that too. We can display his splendor and we can become lights to the rest of the world, just like Jesus called us to be. Well, I think this also can become visible in a community as well. Now, I don't know how you think about St. Saviour's. I don't know whether you think about it as a difficult place to make friends. I don't know whether you think of it as an easy place to make friends. I don't know whether you think it to be a really open community or actually quite a difficult one to break into. But what I do know is that God's purpose for his people is to be a community of love, a community that cares for each other, and a community that welcomes everyone with open arms, whatever their background, whatever their life situation, whatever you know, they look like, whatever they do for a job or in their studies, welcomes everyone accepts everyone, loves everyone, and really gets to know each other. And when we become a community like that, do you know what happens? When people come along for the first time, or maybe when they come into contact with us um, in another context, actually they recognize there's something special, and they say, I wanna be part of that 
as well. Now, I've seen that in different areas of life in St. Saviour's. You know, knowing this, a lot of students come to this service, I have to say that in the student community, definitely there's been something special like that over the last few years. I know it's true in the special needs ministry. I know it's true in WAIFs. I know it's true in a number of areas of life, including many, many life groups. But actually, God wants us to get to know each other and to build friendships that are as close as they can possibly be. And though we're a big church, he actually wants that to happen in us. So, as a staff team, what are we doing to help that happen? Well, Mike uh, just introduced the idea of connect groups, and um, you've all got one of these. There's some lovely pictures on the front. The pictures basically represent different things that we could do together. Cooking, playing golf, drinking wine, uh, walking a buggy, drinking coffee, cycling, playing Scrabble, playing volleyball, playing board games, walking down the high street, and one or two other things. I'm not quite sure what they are, but what is it saying? It's basically saying that we've all been made differently, but actually in a church of 800 people, there are gonna be quite a lot of us who love doing the same things. There's gonna be quite a lot of us who live in the same neighborhoods. There's gonna be quite a lot of us who God has given us a passion for a particular place, a particular cause, a particular group of people. There's gonna be quite a lot of us who have a desire in our heart to pray for a particular thing or a particular set of people, maybe a particular country. And there's also quite a lot of us as well, who have a shared situation, whether it's in the same sort of profession, maybe uh, in the same family type situation, maybe with uh, a non-Christian family, maybe it's uh, people uh, who are single parents, maybe it's people who are students, maybe it's uh, people who are struggling uh, with uh, a particular disability or a challenge. It could be any number of things. And what we're seeking to do is actually allow people to, c to connect to the other people in the church that they would really enjoy and really benefit from getting to know a bit better. Does that sound like a good idea? Yep, okay, so to make that happen, what we need to do is find out, if you want to do this, it's not compulsory, it's just optional, if you would like a couple of times a term just to get to know people who share one of those things with you, you've got these little uh, flyers here that you see there's a question to answer, tick the box or more than one box that actually applies to you, that you, you'd like to connect to other people around a hobby or an interest and say what it is. It could be cycling, it could be football, it, it could be anything. Um, maybe it's a place where you live, maybe it's a passion or calling or desire to pray or whatever it is. Tick those things, uh, jot down what in particular that you'd be interested in connecting with people around. And what we will do is um, over the next two or three weeks, we'll uh, allow you to uh, give those to us. You'll be able to do that electronically as well. We'll email out about that tomorrow. Um, we're gonna process all that stuff. We're gonna see where those clusters of interests and locations are. And wherever there's a good collection of you all wanting the same thing to connect around those things, we'll get in touch with you and say, over to you guys, you've got this in common. And then it's up to each little group of people just to uh, decide whether they want to get together and see what they can do. And I think that God's gonna do some great things through that. I'm anticipating 20 or whatever different groups of people, we'll probably call them connect groups, 
couple of times a term, choosing to meet, to do things together that are powerful for the kingdom. And that's what this is all about. So I've got one more thing that I want to pick out from the passage um, that developed this a little bit further. And my third point is this. We need to get out there. We need to get out there. Now, what, why do I say that? Well, if you look at the, uh, the, the last few verses um, of this passage, um, there's a clear uh, prophecy, isn't there, that, that the servant and uh, the people of God that follow the servant, the church, wouldn't just be a light to the Jewish people, but would be a light to the Gentiles. And what that actually signified was a complete change in the way that people encountered God. In the old days, as it were, the Old Testament times, everyone had to come to Israel. And you had people like the Queen of Sheba and many other people traveling to Israel to encounter the living God. But what God is saying here in these words through Isaiah is a time is coming when the people of God go out to the other nations and take the good news to them. Now that's uh, clearly what happened. We know that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and particularly when the Christians were persecuted in Israel, they were pushed out. And in the missionary journeys of Paul and Peter and others, they took the gospel in one generation to the, basically all over the known world and the, the next 2,000 years have completed that task of reaching every corner of the globe with the good news of Jesus. But what can we take from that? Well, I think it's this. If God's calling was that his people then would go out, then surely his calling on us too is that we would go out as well. Now, for some of us, that might mean going overseas. We know Mike was called to do that um, 15 years ago, whenever it was, 12 years ago. Um, other people in this room have been called to go overseas and may be called in the future. But it's not just about that. It's actually about all of us saying that we're not going to expect people out there to come into the church to find out about Christ. But we are going to take that good news out to them. Now, how do we do that? Well, there's a number of ways that we can do that. If you're a student, by joining the CU, really getting involved in mission on campus, and the CU is the best way to do that. Maybe uh, you're someone who might be able to get involved in street angels or healing on the streets. These are different organizations, if you like, that we can get involved in that help us to do that. But I think a far, um, if you like, uh, more... Um, powerful or broad-ranging way of doing that is simply working the connections and the relationships that we have in our everyday lives. Now, maybe you're at school, maybe you're a student. Clearly, there's loads of students that you can get to know naturally, playing sport together, sharing a hall with them um, over the, in the canteen over a meal, whatever it is. You have opportunities there to get to know people. God can use those relationships for you to share faith in. Maybe you're working at the moment like many of us in this room will be. I want to say to you that actually God can move us beyond the pleasantries of uh, saying hi to our colleagues. He can move us beyond getting to them insofar as they can do their job well and help us in their role to actually taking an interest in them as people outside their working lives. We can do that. We can do that in the pub after work. We can do that over lunch. We can do that at the coffee machine. We can do that when we're traveling to a meeting together. We can choose to make what's private in us visible to them. 
And my testimony is, as you know, I worked for 10 years in, in sort of secular work, and actually my testimony is if I prayed that God would do that through me, and if I went to the places that I felt he was prompting me to do, whether it was the pub or it was to this party or it was inviting people around for dinner who I worked with, God did stuff. And he can do that in us. For others, it might be at the school gate. For others, it might be through sports clubs we're involved in. For others, it might be just people we meet in the neighborhood where we live. Basically, ask God, where could I meet people? And then ask him if he can enable you to move beyond pleasantries to actually sharing who you are, what he's done, and what the good news is for them. Could you do that? You could. We could all do it. And connect groups can help with that as well. Let me just give you one reason why. You can start a group around where you live. Maybe it's Horsley, maybe it's Merrow, maybe it's Stoughton, maybe it's Park Barn, maybe it's Godalming. Wherever it is, if you get together with the other people who live there, you could host a dinner party, you could host a, a brunch and invite along the, the guys you know in your area who don't know Jesus and some of those people who do and see what happens. Powerful. God can do stuff, amazing stuff through that. Or maybe you could start a, um, a cycling club. Maybe you could start a cooking club. Maybe you could start a whiskey tasting club. Uh, maybe you could, whatever it is, all sorts of things. Invite those guys along who don't know Jesus. You know they enjoy those things. See what happens. Connect groups can be a way that we can establish activities that we can invite people along to who wouldn't actually want to come to church if we invited them there. And here's the thing. As they get to know Christians and discover they're not weird, assuming they're not weird, then they might be interested. And it's once we allow people to get to know us and our friends that actually fruitful conversations can happen. So I want to leave it there. Hopefully we've seen that actually the words of Isaiah then are actually words of encouragement about what God wants to do in us now. And I'm going to suggest uh, we just uh, wait on God just for a moment now and just invite him to speak into that. Okay? So let's just take uh, a moment of silence and ask God just to bring to mind what this might look like for us, what we might want to connect around, what the opportunities are for us. So let's wait on him now and just see what he starts to say as we open ourselves up to him.